As you know, we've been in our summer teaching series on the kingdom of God. And if you've been here the last two weeks, you'll know that the kingdom of God is the central message and really the central theme of the life and ministry of Jesus. And the powerful thing is this, is if we misunderstand the kingdom, then we may miss Jesus. And if we want to know Jesus, and if we want to walk and look like Jesus, then we must understand what Jesus came to do, what he came, and what he said. And Jesus not only brought the kingdom in his teaching, Jesus not only brought the kingdom in the demonstration of what he did, but Jesus is the king of the kingdom of God. He is the embodiment of the kingdom. And if we want to understand Jesus, we have to understand the kingdom of God. If you were here last week, we talked about the mystery of the kingdom of God. And I highly recommend that you would go back to our podcast and that you would uh, check that out if you missed. And if you didn't miss, I highly recommend it. Maybe you would go back to that and continue to be refreshed on what that is. Um, This morning, we're going to pivot and we're going to go from the mystery of the kingdom of God to the demonstration of the kingdom of God. And that the kingdom of God is here and now, and it is also future. Uh, and, and I talked more about that last week, but in this week is the here and now of the kingdom. The church is called to manifest the kingdom, reveal that kingdom reality here and now. And the best way that I can put the demonstration of the kingdom is one word, power. The kingdom of God is not a matter of a talk, but a demonstration of power. Now, when I say power, there's a tendency for us to focus on the spectacular. And so I just want to caution you this morning to understand that power just doesn't include the external activity of God, the healing and the miracles and the casting out of demons. That is beautiful. That is power. That is holy war. And we'll talk about that next week, but this morning I want to talk about the power of a transformed life. I want to tell you that one of the greatest demonstrations of the kingdom of God that the world will ever see will be you and I transformed by his kingdom. As amazing as physical healings are, and trust me, they're beautiful and I've seen them, and we are a church that believes that God still heals today. And as spectacular as signs and wonders can be, I believe nothing is more miraculous than a heart that has been changed. Nothing is more powerful than a mind that has been renewed and doesn't think like it used to think. Nothing is more beautiful than when the kingdom invades a life, that sin that used to trip you up so easily now becomes something that you overcome. Nothing is more powerful the demonstration of a kingdom in the life of a believer filled with the Holy Spirit that can walk this power out internally. You know, a lot of people like to run past the internal transformation and they want to perform all the miracles. You know, without the internal transformation, you just become a magician. Even the enemy, even Satan can perform signs and wonders. Did you know that? And just because somebody comes and does some sort of spectacular sign and wonder doesn't mean that it's God. A lot of people get fooled by that. You know, even Pharaoh's magicians could do some of the same things that Moses did with his staff. Are you with me? 
And so here's what I want to tell you. Signs and wonders is a part of the kingdom. Holy war is a part of a kingdom. Casting out demons. And we will get into that next week. But here's what I want to say is that it's the transformed life. Don't listen to the words of a prophet. Listen to the life of the prophet. And before you are wooed or dazzled by something spectacular, it's important to see what God is doing with the heart. Are you with me? This is so important. Such a big part of my ministry as a pastor that I really make sure that the people of God understand I remember a few years ago, uh, I had got a phone call from a friend of mine, really close friend of mine. Uh, we, were, we were good friends in high school, got a lot closer uh, during college. Uh, we all played basketball together. And, uh, and I've told this story before, but I think this is really important. I got a phone call from him, and he, it was really late at night. And he was wondering if I could meet with him at Starbucks. And I could remember uh, driving to Starbucks, and it was around probably like 10 or 11, so I wasn't even quite sure it was going to be open. And part of me was like, you know, I haven't really talked to him in a long time, and I was kind of really curious, what was he going to say to me? And I remember um, as we pulled up, um, and as we sat down and we met, we caught up and we, we, we had caught up on some missed time and we were laughing. And, and, but one thing that I'll never forget where the conversation went, um, he looked at me and he said a couple of things. The first thing that he said to me, he goes, you know, Philip, our group of friends, we love each other. But throughout high school and college, our relationship was really based on clowning each other. <laughs> Y'all have a group of friends. Anybody in here like me, like, it's so crazy. I'm surprised we even made it alive without insecurities. And <laughs> I look back at my high school and college, like, interactions with my friends. There was no love. You had to have a fast mouth. And uh, it was just bad. And so anybody know that group of friends? You go out somewhere, you're getting ripped on for something you did. You're get, it's embarrassing. And, you know, I mean, it was just bad. I mean, and there was no holes bars. You know what I mean? Like, you better be careful because we were all looking for something to make fun of. And so our entire friendship was based on a foundation of putting each other down. It's pretty terrible, I know. And I remember, I remember him looking at me and him telling me, you know, this is not going to be normal for us. And I contemplated about whether I was going to do this or not because this is something that our friends don't normally do. He says, but here's something. I want you to pay attention. This is the second thing he said that I'll never forget. He said, but for the last couple of years, I've been watching you, and there's something completely different about you. And he said, I don't know what it is, but you're not the same person you used to be and I've never told you this, but I admire it. And as soon as he said that, he began to break down and he began to open up and share the deep things of his heart that he knew he couldn't share with me before because it would be used as ammunition against him. <laughs> and I remember being there at Starbucks and he was sharing his heart. And almost in tears, he began to open up about some pains and some struggles and not only did I get a chance in that moment to advise him, not only did I get a chance in that moment to pray with him, but I got an opportunity in the parking lot to lead one of my close friends to Christ. And there's two kingdom lessons that emerge from that that I want to share with you right now. Lesson number one. We didn't have to be in a church building or in a service 
to see the power and the love of God enter into an atmosphere. We were in the parking lot of a Starbucks at midnight, and the power of God moved. Number two, there is no greater evidence to the reality of the kingdom of God than in a life that is submitted to the king. There's no greater witness, the beauty of the kingdom of God. There is no greater gospel witness than a person who could say, I'm not who I used to be. God has made me new. And whether you know it or not, your friends and your family are watching. You're watching. But here's what I want to tell you. I think the biggest challenge to your transformation, the biggest challenge to your kingdom transformation is going to hinge on a misconception. This is the biggest challenge to your change. There's some of you in here today that Christianity doesn't work for you because you think it's a behavioral modification program. And you think that I'm still doing things wrong and I'm still in sin. And so there is a tension between what you profess and what your life lives. And you can't get out of that rut. And you want to love him and you want to live for him. But at the same time, you can't help but see that your actions and what you're professing, there's a tension and there's a divide between the two. And there's no doubt that if you're honest, that while I was telling my story, you were thinking to yourself, I wish that could be me. I wish I could produce some kind of change so that the world would see that the kingdom that I'm preaching is affecting me first. So what's the challenge? Well, I think the challenge rests in this misconception. Are you ready? And some of you want this big key, this big mystery. This is so simple that I think that this is why we miss it. And here it is. The biggest misconception about kingdom transformation in my life is this, is that sometimes, most of the time, I believe that entering into the kingdom of God all depends on me. That it all depends on me. Let me share with you two assumptions that reflect that misconception. One assumption is this, that the kingdom of God, that in order to be transformed and changed, one assumption is this, that my work... Your work comes before his mercy. That somehow there's something that I need to do and then his mercy comes. And the second assumption that I want to deal with that is so basic to the gospel but yet so glorious. And you think that the gospel is just for non-Christians. The gospel is for Christians that have been serving the Lord. has been saints. You'll forever be blessed by the gospel. The first assumption is to believe that my work comes before his mercy. And the second wrong assumption is this, is that my transformation depends on my work. That in order for me to change, then I have to do things. And this morning, I'm going to break those two assumptions down in the hope that you would understand the beauty of the gospel. Saint... You've been with the Lord, saints, for about 15, 20 years. You still need this. You need to preach this gospel to yourself. So let's deal with these assumptions. Assumption number one, my work.
comes before his mercy. That's a bad assumption. Let me explain. In Mark chapter 1, and I'm going to go through these scriptures quickly. At the end, we'll, we'll read together. But in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, listen to what it says. Jesus, this is the summary of his life in ministry right here. It says this. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus said, the time has come, or the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Now, what I just read to you is a summary of the preaching ministry of Jesus. In other words, if you would take the entire ministry, the teachings and the preachings of Jesus, and if you could sum it up into a sentence, which feels impossible, you would sum it up to that sentence. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, from that sentence or from that summary, two questions emerge. And I want to go through this with you. Please do your best to pay close attention because this is the key. The first question I have for you is, what is the gospel? You know, as Christians, we could define it in so many different ways, but we have to understand, what is the gospel? What is the good news? And when Jesus said that the kingdom has come, repent and believe the gospel, what is he asking you to believe? What is he asking you to believe? It's really crazy because... There was a moment in a time where Jesus was with John the Baptist, and they weren't doing it together, but they were doing it at the same time. They were ministering in the wilderness, and then a shift takes place. John the Baptist gets arrested, and you know what happens? Jesus goes from the wilderness into the cities and the synagogues, and he begins to preach this message. He says, believe in the good news, the gospel. Now, are you ready for the gospel? This is the gospel. Jesus is saying, the good news is that God's rule and God's kingdom is here. The God of the universe, the creator of the heavens and earth, his rule and his king is here in your midst. And some of you may say, well, why is that good news? And here's how it's good news. Are you ready? And this king and this rule and this kingdom is in your midst. And guess what? It receives sinners just the way that they are. And this king and this kingdom and the king God himself has come to you in flesh. And guess what? Here's the good news. He doesn't reject the sinner. He doesn't reject the prostitute. He doesn't reject the tax collector. He takes them to dinner. And he accepts it. Are you with me? This is the beauty of the gospel. Jesus comes sitting at tables with outcasts, eating dinner with rebels, and spending his time with criminals and prostitutes. It's the beauty of the gospel. Now, the next question that emerges, what, what must I do to be a part of that? How can I be a part of that? How can I enter into that kind of kingdom? 
And I want to tell you, the answer is not as complex as we make it out to be. Jesus simply says, if you want to enter into this kingdom, all you have to do is repent and believe. Now, this is so vital, so I really want you to get this. Belief precedes repentance. Belief comes before repentance. And let me add to this. And the gospel precedes belief. Let me explain. God's good news always comes first. It's God's acceptance of us in our current condition, in our current sin, and in our current mess that draws us to him. The good news comes first. It's God's work. It's God's will, God's passion, God's kingdom that draws you in when you see the beauty of his love and unconditional acceptance. It draws you to him. So this is good news, and the good news must come first. God doesn't say, clean up your act, and then I'll love you. But he says, I love you, now clean up your act. This is the gospel of the kingdom of God. Good news for bad people through the finished work of of Christ on the cross. Good news for bad people through the finished work of Christ on the cross. That is the good news. Now let me share with you a kingdom truth to help destroy that faulty assumption His mercy, would you write this down? Write it on your heart, (laughs) write it in your mind, write it on your notes. His mercy comes before my work. His acceptance leads me to genuine repentance. It leads me to genuine repentance. And can I just say something this morning? The real battle of the Christian faith is not changing your behavior. The real battle of the Christian faith is not living good, but being fully convinced that God has accepted us in our bad. The real battle of your faith is not trying to be good, but being fully convinced that a good God has accepted us in our bad. Once you've begun to believe, you ready for this? Once you've begun to believe, repentance becomes the automatic response. I love what Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says. It says, God's kindness leads us to repentance. God's goodness, God's grace, God's mercy, God's Kindness leads me to repentance. It draws me in to repentance. Remember, the assumption that gets us all wrong is when we believe that your work precedes God's mercy, that there's something that you do to attract his mercy when his mercy is already given to you. And because of his mercy, my repentance comes. 
Because I believe in his mercy, my repentance comes. Assumption number two. My transformation, my change, depends upon my work. This is a wrong assumption. I can make changes in my own power. There's something that I can do, something that I can say. I can go to church every Sunday, and I can serve on teams, and I can go to all the small groups. Somehow that's going to empower me to live this holy life. Now, don't get me wrong. Discipleship is powerful, but it's the Holy Spirit working through those things in a heart that is authentically desiring to love Jesus, on a heart that authentically grasps the gospel. Now, let's go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. And again, in this teaching series, we're kind of just giving you this glimpse of this grasp of the kingdom. And so we're not breaking these scriptures down contextually, but I really just want to make sure that you're grabbing hold of the main idea. But in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, I want to read this to you, and I want you to see what it says. This is Jesus speaking. See, and, and before I go in there, here, I want you guys to kind of see the order of this, the gospel. And as a result of the gospel, my belief. And as a response from my belief, my repentance. Are you with me? And now you know what happens at that? My transformation. My transformation. And, and theologically, you know what this is? This is justification and sanctification. Let me explain this to you. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20 says this, unless, this is already a negative statement, <laughs> kind of nervous what Jesus is about to say here, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What? Jesus is making it clear that entrance into God's kingdom requires a righteousness that is greater than those religious giants that lived during that time. Now, at first glance, this feels overwhelming and impossible. Let me explain. I think sometimes we fail to realize just how pious the Pharisees were. I want you to consider their routine. We beat the Pharisees up, don't we? I mean, they are legalistic, religi they're so full of religiosity, and we love to preach against them. But can I just share with you some of their weekly routines? And let me see if we still beat them up. Let me show you a little bit about their routine. First thing, I want you to know the Pharisees were the biggest givers. What do I mean by that? Not only did they give alms to the poor, but they paid their tithes in the synagogue regularly. Sometimes I wish we had a church full of Pharisees. No, I don't. I'm just kidding. That was a joke. But can I just say something a little challenging? If we compared our giving to theirs, there's no doubt they'd be way more generous than us. Second thing, did you know that they practice a lifestyle of fasting? Did you know for the Pharisees, fasting three times a week was normal? Now, for some of us, some of us have never fasted in our lives, and maybe twice a year, we only do that when something crazy is happening. Are you with me? Oh, okay, yeah. You, no, not everybody's with me, right? 
we bow to the golden arches, don't we? <laughs> we used to, our master's team, we used to fast and we'd be like, you have to slay King's stomach because he is on the throne and he is declaring his righteousness. <laughs> Let me tell you, not only did they practice a lifestyle of fasting, not only were they the biggest givers, but they also practiced a lifestyle of prayer. The Pharisees made it a habit of praying three times a day. Now, I've spoken with Christian leaders who don't even pray three times a week. Leaders, pastors. I've had conversations with pastors leading ministries that don't even pray three times a week, let alone members of our churches. These guys pray three times a day. Now, can I be challenging just for a moment? Before we bash the Pharisees, before we rush to condemn them, we must remember that without truly grasping grace and mercy, they still outgave, outprayed, and outfasted most Christians. So here's the question What was Jesus really saying when he said that our interest, our entrance into his kingdom, depends upon whether or not our righteousness exceeds the Pharisees and scribes? Well, I think it starts with understanding what Jesus meant by exceed. You see, to the Pharisee and to the person who struggles with legalism and religiosity, righteousness can be measured. It can be quantified. Are you with me? Their mistake was that they turned piety into observable behavior, and then they kept score. They believed that they could earn God's favor by doing good works. You see what's going on here? You see what they're doing? They're proclaiming that their good works precede God's mercy. And that in order to get God's favor, they can do good things and he'll love them. You see what that does? By keeping score, whenever you keep score, guess what? There's always winners and what? Losers, and by keeping score, they're also creating a silo within the community of God. And they're saying, look at us. Look at us pray and look at us fast and watch us give. And we sit at the best seats and we say all the right things. And when we pray, we don't do it in our prayer closet. We walk out so everybody can see. And we're keeping score to let everyone know that we're earning God's favor. I don't know about you. You know what happens when you believe that you're earning God's favor, that somehow your work precedes his mercy, you become prideful and arrogant in what you do. Are you with me? And you create a space for arrogance. You know what they're really saying? That they have control on salvation. God doesn't have this have the say. You see, when you have a part of your salvation, you can boast. When you have a part to play in your transformation, you could boast. You could say, look what I've done or look what I'm doing. This way of thinking is like putting perfume on a dead body. Putting nail polish on a pit bull. God looks at the motivation of the heart. Because here's the truth. Someone can abide by the so-called rules and still be a terribly bad person. 
And you know what we do when we put our works in front of God's grace as a church? We create a room full of actors and performers. We create a church full of actors and performers and hypocrites. Because you know what you're doing is? You're coming in here and you're putting on a face so that everyone can believe everything's okay. You're doing all these outward works and you're raising your hand because that's what you do when you're really in a good place. And you're doing all these things. You're telling people how it But the reality is that internally on the inside, your motivation is all wrong. I want you to watch this. So the disciple of Christ who understands God's mercy precedes their own works. The word exceed simply means to go beyond. If we want to enter into the kingdom of God, our understanding of righteousness must go beyond the Pharisee and the scribe. It must go beyond their shallow, hypocritical understanding. You see, God's kingdom, God's gospel, God's mercy has come to us, not because we've done anything to attract it, but simply because he's gifted it to us. And I love this. I've heard it said before, in the kingdom of God, religion is grace and ethics is gratitude. I don't know if you are. In the kingdom of God, religion is grace and ethics is gratitude. What do I mean by that? I mean in the kingdom of God, my religion is the idea that God's grace has come to me and I simply believe. My work, if you even want to put it that way, the only thing that God has asked me to do is to believe him, trust him, and know... That he's come for me in my ugly condition, in my corrupt mindset, in my sinful nature. To know that he's come to me, even in my dirt. And so my religion is simply to believe in his grace. Are you ready for this? My religion is simply to believe in his grace. And my ethics is my gratitude. You ready for this? My transformation, my repentance is my response to that. It's a form of worship. It's a form of worship. It's a form of thankfulness. Our lifestyles, our attitudes, amen? And all the people with attitudes in here said amen. Your salty attitude, right? Your anger. Your need to be right. How dare they cut me off on the freeway? <laughs> Our actions and behaviors, they don't change to get God's attention. But they change because God, he's gotten our attention. With his gospel, his love, and his unconditional acceptance. This is worship. You know, worship is not limited to the 20 minutes here during, while we're playing. Although, let's, we, oh, we got to get there in time for worship. Your life is worship. You wake up. There's worship. Everything you do is, there's, it's worship. It's worship. Whenever you interact with God's creativity and his creation, I can't wait. I'm, on Monday, I'm going camping. 
me and my family, for five days. We're going camping. We're going to hang out with my family. We're going to go swim in the lake. We're going to have a good time around the campfire. I might eat a couple s'mores. That may not be too good for me. But nonetheless, here's what I'm saying. When I am enjoying what God has created for me to enjoy, that's worship. You with, are you with me? Worship is a sinner's response to a loving God's acceptance. And what is that response? Are you ready? It's the kingdom of God demonstrated in my actions and in my attitudes. I wonder how the kingdom is being demonstrated in your cubicle. I wonder how, how is the kingdom being demonstrated in your home? How is the kingdom being demonstrated? Now, your first thought is, well, I need to change that. There's something I need to do. No, 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 no. There's a belief problem, not a behavior problem in there. Are you with me? Now, can I say this? If there is a problem with your response to God, if you find yourself, you find your profession of faith and your walk are two different things. Right? Sometimes <laughs> with our mouths, we proclaim that we're for Christ, but with our actions, we do anti-Christ things. Right? Some would say, well, that's a behavior problem. And trust me, it is. We all sin. <laughs> we all have a sin nature. But the truth is, it's not your attitudes or your actions that need adjusting. It's something wrong with your belief. Christianity, I said this earlier, is not a behavioral modification program. Jesus is not interested in fencing you in with laws and rules. Because laws and rules don't even have the power to address your heart. They only change your outside. So then let me address the bad assumption with the kingdom truth. Are you ready? Here's the kingdom truth. The king and his kingdom has come to produce the kind of radical transformation in you that only springs up from a new source, a new power, a new enablement that is impossible for you to even access, but only through his Holy Spirit. Only through his Holy Spirit. You cannot access this change in your own power. Impossible. You need to be made new. There's no way you can do it. Some of you in here today, you're, you're battling. And I want to tell you, you need to be, you need to be made new. Well, how do I do that? You can't. Well, this sounds like bad news. <laughs> this is not like the gospel. But if you would just believe that he accepts you where you're at. And that in that belief, if you would just allow that belief to bring and well up inside of you this place of repentance, I am authentically, genuinely concerned that I am not where I need to be. And this repentance well up inside you. I need some help because I can't do it on my own. You know what the Lord says? I've given you the Holy Spirit and you can't do it on your own. The only way that this change and transformation can take place so that you can be a demonstration to the world is if it's done through the Holy Spirit. Open your Bibles to John chapter 3. Open your Bibles to John chapter 3. If you don't have your Bibles, you can use your phones. 
If you don't have your phones, we'll make sure we put it up here for you. But open your Bible to John chapter 3, and we're going to read eight verses. I invite you to really lean in in this final place because there's just such an importance in this. And I pray you would just rest in this truth. I'm going to give you the key. John chapter 3, verse 1 through 8. It reads like this. You ready? Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the synagogue. This man came to Jesus by night. I just want to pause there real quick. He's a Pharisee, but he's a good man. He's a good man. And remember all the things that the Pharisee practiced? He practiced these things. And he's coming to Jesus. But you know what's crazy is he's coming to him at night. That tells us something, doesn't it? He doesn't want to be seen. And maybe because the Pharisees, the group that he kind of is with, maybe they're suspect of Jesus, but he is compelled by him. But it comes to him at night. And if you know anything about the themes of the book of John, even darkness and night is saying something. There was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a ruler of the synagogue. This man came to Jesus by night and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him. Please pay close attention to this. Jesus said, truly, truly. I love that. For real, for real, seriously. Truly, truly, pay attention to this. I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born now that's pretty awkward you know what he's essentially saying look I'm too big my mom's too old and I'm not quite sure she'd be interested in this old thing do I need to go into detail no look how Jesus answered truly truly I say to you unless one is born of water and spirit he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Now this is key. Jesus then says, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit there is so much in this text but I gotta break it down to three things three things I want to share with you and then we're gonna pray number one we can't see the kingdom let alone manifest the kingdom unless we're born again you have to be born again guys you want this kingdom the beauty of its king the glory of what he's going to do and what he has done if it's beautiful to you, if it marks you, and it draws you in and compels you, guess what? You can receive it, but the only way you can receive it is if you are what? Born again. Now, to be born again means to be recreated. You got to start all over. You got to be made new. 
the old man and the power of sin over the old man it has to die and we have to be raised to new life we have to be remade you can't put perfume over a dead body we got to be resurrected you can't change your behaviors you can't just well tomorrow morning i'm gonna wake up and i'm just gonna start doing new things no it has to go deeper you have to be reborn number two jesus says don't marvel at this though don't get so caught up in born again right didn't he get caught up in being born again in other words don't get stuck trying to explain trying to figure it out because it's unexplainable don't get stuck trying to comprehend it don't get stuck trying to break it down in its parts and if you're anything like me you love to break it down in parts don't you you want to know you want to analyze it and there's nothing wrong with breaking things down there's nothing wrong with being wise but when it comes to being born again when it comes to the transformation of the heart there's never going to be an opportunity for me to fully grasp it you want to know why because if i could grasp it if i could break it down it would mean that i could try to figure out a way to make it happen you see that you see that being born again like if we could break it down into steps and parts and do this step and then do this you see what i'm doing i'm already breaking down into a law and i'm breaking down to a rule and then i'm keeping score and in order for me to be transformed i got to do this and then i got to do this and i got to do that and then what we've done is we've taken salvation out of god's hands and what we put it in our own he says don't marvel at being born again don't get caught up in being born again don't try to make it happen because the truth is you and I are powerless Jesus says only the Holy Spirit can change your heart only the Holy Spirit can change your heart and to this <laughs> our hopeless hearts cry what must I do what do I do then because the kingdom is beautiful and the king is glorious what do I do right can you feel your hopeless heart what do I do what do I do how do I change he says only the Holy Spirit can change you what do I do our hopeless hearts are crying Jesus says repent and believe the good news that God's kingdom has come and in this kingdom the king accepts sinners the way that they are it's so hard for us not to make this into more than what it is finally number three Jesus doesn't leave you and I hanging if you're like me and you're very analytical you still want to break this down so you just don't get now 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 Philip Jesus doesn't accept us the way we are you know right you still feel that some of you feel that in there some of you are like yes he does and that's because you're full of sin you need to repent and then there are others on the other side that's like Philip you better preach that there's repentance because God can't look at sin Amen. You see that tension, that beautiful, glorious tension? And it's, and, it's, and it's manifested in the church, right? You have all these different people on different sides. I can feel it. I can feel it inside of me as I'm preaching. So he doesn't leave us hanging. But for those, those of us in here that still need some kind of an explanation, Jesus gives us some mercy. Amen? Because <laughs> I'm like, Lord, there's tension in my heart. Listen to what Jesus says. Here's the explanation that he gives. He says, the wind blows 
where it wishes. And you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Let me say this. Our ability to submit to God and walk away from sin must come from a new nature. We must be transformed from the inside out. This is an impossible task for us to accomplish on our own strength. Only the Holy Spirit can initiate a new birth. This is a mystery. The Holy Spirit moves in us like the wind moves around us. Free, unhindered, and invisible. Last week, I took my son, my wife, and I believe it was Mario and Kaylee and got us a kite. And my son wants to fly kites. So we took a kite out to the park. Now, God bless my beautiful family. They're, they're, you know, my wife's husband and my son's dad, he's not really good at things. You know, I, I can't fix a car. <laughs> I can't fly a kite. You know, I'm just like, I could play baseball, you know, I play basketball. And we do those things, but, you know, I'm just like, oh, my wife's YouTubing how to fly a kite, right? <laughs> It's glorious. And so we go out. And anybody know, last week, it was really hot, right? <laughs> and so we go out there to fly this kite. And, um, and we're trying to figure it out, right? How do you make it go up? <laughs> right? And I was like, well, I think I've seen people fly a kite before. So, like, I'm out there. And, like the, and you know, peas kind of jump in. And, yeah, kite, right? Because he watches it on his little iPad, right? All the kids are flying kites. And dad's over here struggling. And so, you know, I'm like, well, maybe just straight down. Like, it went up slower than it came down. Like, it came down fast. It crashed down. And then, like, you know, Jamila's still, like, YouTubing over there, you know, on her phone. And so I'm like, I'm going to figure this out. On my own. So, like, I grab it, right? And I'm like, whoa. And I'm, like, sprinting in the park. And the kite's just like, right? It's just, it is just being drugged. It is just a terrible sight. And my gosh, I am embarrassed. And my son's just like kind of hopping with me, right? And, I, and, and God bless everybody at the park that day looking at us thinking, that poor guy. <laughs> and then I gave it to my son because he wants to run. I'm like, well, he doesn't know the difference, right? Kid's only three. He thinks he's flying a kite even though that thing is getting destroyed. <laughs> Mario, okay, we love you guys, man. But that, you know. So Pete grabs it and he begins to run. And it begins to soar. And he's like, it's, almost, it's just so cool to him. And he's running, and, and it's in the air, and then it starts to dance. It soars, and it dances, and then it falls. I'm like, how did he do that? <laughs> I want you to get this. You want to know what happened when my son began to run with the kite? He didn't do anything different than what I was doing. You want to know what the difference was? The wind. The wind. We flew a kite on a day with no wind. Oh, some kite experts in here, huh? Go ahead, get it out. We laugh, listen, we laugh 
because we know the power of the wind to bring life to the kite. And in the same way, the power of the Holy Spirit brings life to our dead bodies. And you can't see it. You don't know which way it's going or when it's coming. But all you know is that as soon as that wind came and it hit that kite, that thing that dropped, that thing that was immovable, that thing that was dead, and every time I try to throw it up, it would fall back down. That thing that refused to move because it had no power in itself to move, when the wind blew through it, it began to dance. And while Nicodemus is marveling at the reality of being born again and wondering how that happens, Jesus says, don't marvel at that. Jesus says, the wind, the wind, the wind blows. We don't know where it's coming from. We don't know where it's going, but we know that it's blowing. And the Holy Spirit breathes life into a dead body. It breathes life into a body full of sin. And we don't know how he's doing it, but it breathes life. And in breathing life, that thing that was dead, that thing that could not move on its own, there was nothing it could do to make itself fly. That thing, when the wind came, got life. And this is what the Holy Spirit does for you and I. And I know you're still sitting here. What, what do I do? What do I do? Believe the gospel. Believe the gospel. Believe the gospel. Believe it. He loves you. He accepts you in your mess. greatest demonstration of the kingdom of God to a world that's lost is a life that's transformed the only way a life can be transformed is a life that is resurrected by the Holy Spirit if you're having behavior issues if you're having transformation issues Come on, if you love Jesus, but you're still angry. If you love Jesus, but you're, you're still seeking out a, a, a satisfaction in alcohol and drugs. If you love Jesus, you find yourself addicted. If you love Jesus, you're still looking at, uh, if you're, st you're still falling in your lust. You're still sinning and you can't seem to get up. You don't have a behavior problem. There's a belief problem. You have to hold on to the gospel. You have to let the Holy Spirit do a work in you. Let him breathe. Let the wind blow. Let the wind blow inside of you. And that's why this is good news, not bad news. It would be bad news if it was left up to you and I. This is good news. I'm going to pray over you. But I love it. Did you know that when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus... A teacher of the law, a Pharisee who understands the word. Did you know that he's recalling some text in Ezekiel? An Old Testament text that even Nicodemus should be aware of? Can I, can I read this to you and then I'm going to pray this over you? Would you listen to what this says? In Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 24. I will take you 
from the nations. Now he's talking to Israel, but I want you to hear this. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I love this. Verse 25. I, this is the prophet speaking before Jesus is ever on the scene. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I love verse 27. This is the prophet, God speaking to him. He's prophesying. And he says this, and this is God's words. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You see that word? I'm so glad cause is in there. Did you hear that? It says, I'll put my spirit, my Holy Spirit inside of you, and then I will cause you. Not you will cause yourself. My spirit in you, I will cause you to walk according to my law and my statutes. Mm. An old te- a New Testament principle hidden in the beautiful Old Testament. Let's pray. Jesus you're sitting in here this morning and you are wrestling with these tensions I want to speak peace to your heart by offering you an invitation to believe the gospel that Jesus has brought the kingdom and that the king and his kingdom accepts you in your sin and will resurrect you through his Holy Spirit. So Father, I just pray right now for this entire room. Just every head bow, just for a moment, just to, con- just to concentrate. I, everyone in this entire room there's even some of you that battle i don't even know if i'm saved how do i know we get so caught up in the logistics i don't know did i say the prayer did i didn't say the prayer i'm not sure we make it about all these different things but here's what i want you to know in your heart do you believe the gospel do you put your faith and your trust in the finished work of christ on the cross that he died and he rose again and because he resurrected you could be resurrected to new life So, Father, I pray right now two things. Corporately, as a church, this would be a gospel preaching, gospel teaching church. I pray that the people of this church, the leaders of this church, the members of this church, all those that enter and encounter this church would be gospel carriers, that we would know the gospel rightly. And secondly, I pray for every individual heart and mind in this place that's wrestling with the tension of law and behavior and actions and attitudes and also just loving Jesus. I pray right now that the Holy Spirit would do a work in them that they can't do themselves. They would just submit to the Holy Spirit and trust the gospel. They would believe the gospel. They preach the gospel to themselves over and over again until they get it. And until their worship and their response becomes repentance. So if there's anyone in here today, you're struggling with walking yourself out in sanctification. I want you to know, you believe the gospel, you trust the Holy Spirit. So Father, I just pray 
May this church reach all those that are far from you. And may you help us to make the kingdom come. Well, the kingdom's already come. May you help us to partner with the kingdom that has come. Your will would be done here in Crown Plaza as it is in heaven, here in Union City as it is in heaven, here in the Bay Area as, is it, as, is, as it is in heaven, here in Hayward, in Fremont, in Newark, Union City, San Leandro, San Lorenzo, all around this area for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. And God bless you guys. Love you guys. Believe the gospel. And let's go be the kingdom everywhere we go. Amen. And I'll see you guys next Sunday. I'll see you on Wednesday at Theology of Coffee. Have a wonderful Sunday. God bless you guys. I'll never touch your heart or take it all.